Well, good morning. Welcome to this gathering of Redeemer Church of Dubai. I'm Pastor Dave. It's great to be back at the Crown Plaza. Except we're not actually back at the Crown Plaza, are we? We are now at the Millennium Plaza Downtown Hotel. While we were gone literally for one week after 30 years, the Crown Plaza Sheikh Zayed Road is no more. Now, if you're new to us, welcome to our venue craziness. We at Redeemer just like to make things interesting as we move all around. And while we were gone, that's what happened. At least the hotel didn't completely shut down while we were gone, right? That's happened to us before at the Marriott. At least that didn't happen. And as I said last week, the church isn't a building. The church is a people. And we've been assured that the management is the same. And for those who are worried, we should still enjoy the same world-class quality croissants that we've enjoyed before. So need not worry. So welcome to the Millennium Plaza Downtown Hotel, the new old home, or is it the old new home of Redeemer Church? I have no idea. I'm just glad that we're here today. I'm also happy to have our newlyweds back, uh, Joshua and Haley. I see you over there. Would you guys just stand? I want to introduce you to Joshua and Haley Opako. You guys may be seated. We're so excited about their marriage, their wedding just a couple weeks ago. Uh, we're also excited. April 29th, Rohan and Veronica will be getting married, and so we're thrilled about that. And we just, we love weddings. Let's keep filling up the calendar, okay? Redeemer Church, let's keep filling up the calendar. Not everybody's called to be married, uh, but if you'd like to be married, pray toward that end. Talk to your community group leader. Talk to your fellow members. Talk to your elders. We'd love to pray for you and love to help you out in any way that we can. Also, you got these beautiful uh, invite cards. Good Friday, uh, Easter morning, Easter back here. So three different places, three great services. So take this, invite a friend to one or all. So it'll be Good Friday at the Movenpick uh, in Garhud, Easter sunrise on the beach. And then we'll be here for our normal regular Sunday service. And I'll be preaching a message on redemption from uh, the book of Romans. So we'll be reading the entire passage for my next four sermons uh, from verses 21 through 31 in Romans chapter 3, but we'll be taking it in four parts. So one this week, we'll miss a couple weeks, and then I'll preach on Easter just on the last part of verse 24, and then we'll have two more sermons. So we'll take this, this section of Romans over the course of four weeks. But before jumping in to the sermon, I just wanted to pause and pray for our former staff member, Biju John. That's us on the slide there in Frugera. Uh, Biju was on staff with us for several years, later serving Emmanuel Church in Frugera, and now uh, was just recently voted in as a pastor at Center Church, one of our church plants in Dubai. Now, I've mentioned Biju's health uh, to you before. Biju's even visited, and we've prayed uh, for him. Unfortunately, his cancer uh, is progressing um, and he's struggling. And so Pastor Scott and I are flying out uh, to India in just a few hours, a little bit later today, to be with him and to be with his uh, family. And so just wanted to pray for that and pray for him and his family. I wanted you uh, to know that and to know that we worship a God who cares. We worship a God who loves. We worship a God who comforts. We worship a God who heals. And so let's go to the Lord now in prayer for our brother and his family. Let's pray.
Well, Father, you've already done the greatest miracle forbid you in saving him from his sin. That surgery on his heart saved him from eternal death and gave him eternal life. We praise you for this greater work. But we ask for another miracle. We know that you're able to heal us from our sin-sick selves, but you're also able to heal our bodies. And so please heal, Biju. Father, please sustain our brother. Father, please bring peace to him. Please bring peace to Princey and Griffith and Grayson and Gracia. Father, hold their family fast. Hold their family close. Be with them. May the Spirit be the great comforter and great helper to them even now. Bless Pastor Scott and I as we travel. Would we be of some encouragement to them during this time? May they feel your presence with them. Lord, have mercy. Father, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, several years ago, our family traveled and took a short trip to Rome, Italy. It was basically a historical field trip, went from site to site, and being much younger than they are now, We had to bribe our kids with lots of gelato to go from one site to the next. But it was an amazing trip. We were able to see the prison where Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy, his last writings in the scriptures, to see the catacombs where many Christians are buried. We visited ancient Pompeii, much intact since it was covered in volcanic ash in AD 79 from the eruption from Mount Vesuvius. And of course, we went to the Vatican and we saw the stunning St. Peter's Basilica. But with the beauty comes the reality that the money to build it came from something called indulgences, certificates sold, promising to release your dead ones from a painful place of purging called purgatory and transferred to heaven. We were most shocked by the reverence of Mary everywhere. I grew up Catholic, but I was still stunned. Jesus is liked, but Mary is loved. Mary was at the center of the painting, center of the churches. If there's a Catholic star in Rome, it's Mary, the Queen of Heaven. Well, we learned more about Rome during an interesting encounter. As we walked back from the Colosseum, someone started walking next to Gloria and asked, Do you speak English? That was a little scary because we were told of swindlers and pickpockets down there at the Colosseum. We were told to be careful. We were told to, to not talk to strangers. And so Gloria kept quiet and she kept staring straight ahead, walking a little faster, trying to get away from the scary man. And then all of a sudden the man said, is that Dave Furman over there? At that point, Gloria thought, wow, that thief is really good. He's even psychic. No, I'm kidding. She stopped and said, um, yeah, it is. Who wants to know? Now, those may not have been her exact words. But it was the first time, maybe in my entire life, that someone recognized me before they recognized my wife. And we literally bumped into this man unplanned, this Man was an evangelical church planter in the city whom we shared connections with, uh, with another church. This church planter then took us on a, on a tour to the evangelical church center in Rome. And as we got closer, I asked him, is that, is that it? Is that the building? And it was a beautiful building in front. He was taking us directly to the building. He said, no, that's the Catholic church. Our building's over there. 
uh, to which I could see nothing. As we got closer, sure, surely it was there. It was a small storefront property. As we walked in, there was room for maybe 30 chairs. Downstairs, a small uh, library with about six tables. Across the street, a huge Catholic cathedral. But this small storefront was the hub of, of evangelicalism for the city of Rome. And we learned about the challenges of ministry in Rome because of the differences between Protestantism, what we are, and Catholicism, a main issue centering on how are we right with God. Both Christianity and Catholicism appeal to the grace of God. But for Protestants, it's grace, just grace. For Catholics, it's grace plus it's grace plus your culture. If you're Roman and, or born into a Catholic family, then you're Catholic. For Catholics, there are sacraments, religious activities that you must do to be saved from your sins. For Christians, it's grace plus nothing. For Catholics, there's no assurance of salvation. Your good works may still land you in hell or maybe in purgatory where you might spend even thousands of years being purged of your sin. For Christians, it's grace plus nothing. For Catholics, you confess your sins to a priest and are sent to do penance or punishment. Perhaps it's praying a number of Hail Mary prayers to the mother of Jesus. For Christians, it's grace plus nothing. Well, during our trip to Rome, there were candles to light, money you could give, prayers to saints, stairs you could walk. All to try to free yourself or your loved ones from purgatory or future or current suffering. It was grace plus tradition, grace plus works, it was grace plus. Well, these teachings are what the Protestant reformers fought against in the 16th century. Martin Luther, John Knox, John Calvin, and others said it was grace Plus, nothing which saves. It was the truth behind the Protestant Reformation, the, the, the doctrine of justification by faith that provoked the most serious controversy when in 1517, on October 31st, a German monk, Martin Luther, nails 95 theses to a church door. Now, these theses were mostly arguing against this idea of indulgences, that you could pay money to free your loved ones from suffering, your dead loved ones from purgatory. At least that's the false message that they sold, and they sold it again and again and again. Money used to build the beautiful St. Peter's Basilica. The late R.C. Sproul boils down the whole Reformation down to the answer to one question. How can an unjust person ever hope to stand before the just judgment of God or in other words to make it even simpler how are we saved how are we saved now friends this is no small matter Luther taught that justification which we'll look again at the end of the sermon means to be declared righteous we've been singing about it this morning and that it was done by faith alone and even the faith was a gift. He argued that it's on this one truth that the church stands or falls. John Calvin said it's the hinge on which everything turns. The point they were making is this is very, very important. The church must 
get this right. Well, by moving into this next section in Romans, chapter 3, verse 21 and following, we start the second main section of Romans called justification. So we've been looking at condemnation, lots of condemnation over the last uh, several sermons. Well, today we start this new section, which will go from chapter 3, verse 21, all the way through chapter 5. The next 11 verses in particular, the ones that Biji just read to us, contain some of the most beautiful gospel teaching in the entirety of the scriptures. Martin Luther calls this section the chief point and the very central place of Romans and of the whole Bible. Bible commentator Charles Cranfield calls these verses the center and the heart of the whole main section of Romans. The great pastor Donald Gray Barnhouse drew a heart over these verses in his Bible and said, I'm convinced today after many years of Bible study that these verses are the most important in the whole Bible. Scholar Leon Morris calls it possibly the most important paragraph ever written. And my first pastor, Pastor Tommy Nelson, dramatically said, if you're being kidnapped by terrorists and only have time to tear out one page of your Bibles, tear out this page. No, friends, these are important words. These words and verses are glorious ones, and they mark a turning point in Paul's letter from condemnation to the good news of justification. That's where we begin today. We're going to just take the first three and a half verses today, and we'll observe five truths about how to be saved by God. How are we saved? Five truths from three and a half verses. Number one, salvation comes apart from the law. I'm just going to take them one at a time, so we'll start here. Number one, salvation comes apart from the law. Look at verse 21. But. Well, that seems like a pretty good place to stop for a minute. R.C. Sproul once said that his favorite word in all of the New Testament is right here. But. Tim Keller says this word, but, is a word that reverses the statement which has gone before. That's the words of condemnation that we've just been studying. And that's why few words, Keller says, are more glorious than the but that begins verse 21. Paul turns from the black cloth of human sin to hold up the glittering diamond of the gospel. And the second word, perhaps it's just as important as the first word, but, but now... But now is an expression used 14 times in Paul's writings. Paul's contrasting something from the past to the present. He's saying something new. Yes, condemnation, but. Yes, condemnation, but now. There's bad news, but now. I mean, look at the rest of the verse. But now, and here it is. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart, that's another key word here, apart, apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It's an announcement. Back in verse 20, no one can be righteous in God's sight. None. No one. 
No one at all. All are worthless. No one does good. Not even one. All are condemned. Paul now announces an unheard of reality in these verses. Right after condemning the world, right? Jew, Gentile, everyone condemned. No one righteous. Right after all that, the very next verse here, chapter 3, verse 21. But now, friends, do you see these hope-filled words? But now, friends, you see the hope. You can almost taste it as we read it. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, been made known. Now, our translations are good, but one comment, the, the words righteousness and justified are essentially the same in the original language, dikaiosune or dikaiosune. You could even say here the justification from or of God has been made known. Either way, the idea is close. As one scholar writes, the righteousness of God is the validating performance record which opens the doors to our salvation. Now the problem we've seen thus far in Romans in the section on condemnation is that our spiritual CVs are covered with our sins. Now, many of you are trying to get jobs now. I, I pray for you often. I pray for our church. For those of you who need <clears throat> jobs, I pray the Lord provides for you. But on your CV, what types of things do you include? All your sins, all your weaknesses, all your failures. When you, when you make a list of references, do you put all the people that despise you or the people that don't like you on that list? No, of course not. Of course not. You fill your CV with your education, with your accomplishments, with references who like you, your experience, the why, the reason the company should hire you. You're trying to scream out through the paper, hire me. That's what you do with your CV. Well, the problem with every other religion in the entire world is, is that this is how they try to make sense of their lostness. You need to do better. You need a better CV. You need a good CV that'll pass the test, that'll, that'll get you in. You need to do these things and those things. And if you do them, if you're good enough, you may get accepted. You may get that job. You don't know if you'll get it, but at the end of your life, you hope you're good enough. But Paul's crystal clear, verse 21, but now... The reason those words are so important is because in Christianity, we're shown another way. We're shown the only way. Our CVs can never be good enough. But now, there's a divine righteousness of God that's given to his people. There's nowhere else you can go to get this righteousness. Pastor Tim Keller writes, outside of the gospel, we must develop a righteousness and offer it to God and say, hopefully and anxiously accept me. The gospel says that God has developed the perfect righteousness and offers it to us. And by it, we're accepted. This is the uniqueness of the Christian gospel. And it reverses, this is what I'm just saying, and it reverses what every other religion, what every other worldview, and even every human heart believes. Every religion says you can climb the mountain up to God by your own strength and by your own works. That you can get to God if you just try hard enough. Christianity says you're dead at the base of the mountain. 
But, 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 but God, most radically, God came down from the top of the mountain that Jesus got in the flesh came down to bring new life. It's a grace plus nothing. Paul is saying the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law. He's not saying it's new, but what was previously concealed is now shown. One commentator writes, The righteousness of God that is now revealed in his saving righteousness, his saving action in Jesus Christ by which human sin is atoned for so that humanity's broken relationship with God may be restored. It's not new, but it has been concealed. It has been hidden. God's righteousness has now been revealed through Christ. So what happened 2,000 years ago when God became flesh. It's not new. The Law and the Prophets, verse 21, even bears witness to it. That's incredible. The Old Testament is incredible. It bears witness to Christ. It points to Christ. Promises are, are made that the Savior would come. New Testament promises are kept by God, and we, we see this righteousness revealed through Christ. He's now been made fully known. This doesn't mean the law is, is bad. Remember last sermon, the law had its purpose, one of which was to show us that we can't keep the law. But the good news is that salvation comes apart from the law. And that is good news. Friend, let me ask you this question. Have you been trying to save yourself? Well, let me stop and say this. As you think about that question, you can't clean yourself up and get right in life and then come to God. The church is not a museum for a bunch of holy people, but a hospital for the sick. Now, I've said this before. I've said that all Christians are, are hypocrites, but I'm not sure that's the most accurate or best statement to make. A better way to say it is all Christians were once dead, but by the grace of God, we're now alive, and all Christians still need God's grace for sanctification, the process by which we become or holy, the process by which we look more and more like Christ. Our growth in grace is grace. Our growth in grace is only accomplished by grace. It's not just grace that gets you saved. It's grace that increases your knowledge and love for Christ. It's grace which changes your life for your entire life. You can't make yourself clean and then present yourself to God. You can't get yourself ready for salvation and then come to God. You can't do a bunch of good things and then come to join the church. The same reason a dead person can't make themselves undead. So yes, our membership here at Redeemer Church is full of sinners. You may be looking around, you may be here and wonder, how is that person a Christian? How did they get baptized? How, how are they a member of this church? Why would I want to join when that sinner is joined? When that hypocrite is joined? Well, because join the club. You're messed up. I'm messed up. And I'm your pastor. We're all messed up. We all need Jesus. We all need a Savior to save us from our sin and to sanctify us for our entire lives until we meet our Savior face to face. We all need Jesus. If you wait till your CV is good enough, you're, you're going to wait forever. It's never going to be good enough. That day will never come. You don't become a Christian and then join a church because you're good enough. 
You become a Christian and join a church because you know you're not good enough. Let me just say that again. Maybe you're here, you're not yet a believer, and you've been wondering, okay, what, what, what step do I take? You don't become a Christian and come to church because you're good enough. You don't become a Christian and join our church because you're good enough, but because you know you're not good enough. You see the difference? We Christians know we can't save ourselves. First truth we see about salvation in our text, salvation comes apart from the law. A second truth we see about salvation in our passage, number two, salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's stop there for a minute just in the middle of the verse. To be saved, one must have faith in Jesus Christ. Notice there are no disclaimers here. No automatic passage to heaven for the person in a far-to-reach island somewhere who's never heard of Jesus. No salvation for the person who's practiced another religion with all of their heart and done everything with what feels like a pure motive. No way to get the righteousness of God through good works. Paul's clear. It's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Period. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say this righteousness is only for those with strong faith. Christian, I wonder how you feel about your faith. Do you sometimes doubt your salvation? Well, you believe, but you think, do I believe enough? Is my faith strong enough am I really a Christian have you ever wondered those things maybe it's because of those things or answering that question a certain way maybe that's kept you from pursuing baptism and membership here even in our church youth and tweens maybe this is you if anyone here feels this way. Let me speak directly to you right now. If this is you, I'm speaking to you. You've been on my heart this week. Let me speak directly to you now. Listen carefully. It's not the strength of your faith which saves, but the object of your faith which saves. Let me just say that again. I'm going to repeat that. It's not the strength of your faith which saves. It's the object of your faith which saves. Look again at our verse, the righteousness of God through faith in, and here's the key, in, 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 in Jesus Christ. You don't, we don't place our faith in our faith. Our faith is not in faith. You see what I'm getting at? Maybe an illustration will help. Just picture this scene, your Terrified of heights, there's a fire. You live up relatively high in an apartment building. There's a fire engulfing the building and you're standing on the edge of the balcony and you're going to die if you stay there and there's no one below, there's no help down there. You're too far up to save yourself and so as the fire comes, you decide there at the edge of the balcony, 
high up in the air, nobody down below, just to jump and you start flapping your arms. Flapping your arms because you know birds flap their arms and birds fly and so you start flapping your arms trying to save yourself as you jump. Well, what's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen is you're going to fall straight down and you're going to die. No matter how much faith you had in your arms or your new flying technique, you're not going to make it. Well, picture this alternate scene. You're up there in the apartment tower. The fire is engulfing you. You're going to die if you stay there. But this time, there's the fire department and a fire truck beneath you. There's a team of volunteers and they're holding a a big trampoline-like, kind of parachute-like contraption below and they're yelling to you, jump, 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 we'll we'll save you. But remember, you are terrified of heights. We could probably all picture maybe from the movies, the, the young child holding his or her teddy bear at the edge of the building. And the team is saying, jump and jump, jump. But that, that child is so scared. That child just, just grips that teddy bear, just afraid, afraid of heights, afraid of jumping, afraid if they're going to they're gonna make it or not. You know down below that you're going to catch them. You've got the, the saving tool down there, but they're scared. And well, what happens in the movies? Normally, eventually, the kid jumps, maybe eyes closed, maybe terrified, maybe clinching to that teddy bear, maybe struggling with their faith to jump, but they jump. And when that kid jumps, that kid had faith. It's a barely faith. It may be an anxious faith, but it's faith. For the child, even in their wavering and weak faith, it's the object of their faith that saved. It's not the strength of your faith that saves. It's the object of your faith that saves. You see what Paul is saying here in verse 22? It's faith, period. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Why Jesus? Well, because only Jesus can save. Because he took our payment on the cross. He died the death we deserved and he rose from the dead. One pastor has said, faith is simply the attitude of coming to God with empty hands, pointing to Christ. If we think the strength of our faith saves, we're going to get pretty discouraged on days when our faith is weak. We can start looking inward and focusing on ourselves, looking at ourselves when we should be looking at Christ. He will hold us fast. If you trust in your faith, your doubts will shake you. If you trust in your faith, anxiety will will bring you to despair. Instead, we must keep our eyes gazed upon Jesus, just as our fellow church member Dan Ivey shared in our first Sunday prayer teaching time earlier this month. Our gaze must be upon Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones sums it up this way. The man who has faith is the man who is no longer looking at himself and no longer looking to himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was. He doesn't look at what he is now. He doesn't look at what he hopes to be. He looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work, and he rests on that alone. Redeemer Church, it's Jesus that saves. We need to be careful to not allow faith to be turned into a work. Again, Tim Keller writes, faith is the only instrument by which we You receive your salvation, not the cause of your salvation. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. It's grace plus nothing. Justification doesn't just pardon the sinner. We are actually given Christ's righteousness. This is remarkable. A judge may pardon a criminal after 30 years and set them free. That might might include a forgiveness, but it doesn't take away the criminal's crime. 
In justification, we have a declaration of righteousness. It's not only forgiveness, it's not a just pardon, it's a legal transaction where, listen to this, God actually declares a person righteous in his sight. This is mind-boggling. We are given the righteousness of Christ. This is astonishing. The good news of the gospel is that God pronounces people just. Astonishingly enough. Now listen to this. This is most amazing. God pronounces people just while they are sinners. Paul's going to get to that. Romans 5, chapter 8. Many of you know this verse. But God, another great Start to a verse there. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is incredible news. Yes, we must place our faith in Christ. But you see this good news. Paul doesn't say God shows his love for us while we've done enough to earn it. Only when we've done enough to earn it. It doesn't say God shows his love for us when our faith is strong enough. He loves us while we were still yet sinners. It was in that state. Dead sinners. That Christ died for us. Oh, friends, this is just breathtaking news. And what's even greater about it is that it's a truth that's available to all. That's the third truth about salvation we see in our passage today. Number three, salvation comes to all who believe. Verse 22 the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all. Another key word here, all. Who's it for? All who believe. For there is no distinction. All can be saved because all can have faith in Jesus. It's for all who believe. There is no distinction. John Stott said simply, it's offered to all because it's needed by all. Now, this was the argument in the section on condemnation, our study, the past several months. This is our 13th sermon in Paul's letter to the Romans today. All can be saved and all need to be saved. Remember, we're all in the same sinking ship apart from Christ. This means a few things. Number one, look around. Just look around at each other. I know I've asked you to do this before. It's not too weird. Look around, turn around, turn beside you. Just look at each other for a moment. It's not too strange. Okay, this, this room, this room is a testament to the fact that any race, any ethnicity can be saved. Any background. It's beautiful. It's a righteousness that comes without any ethnic restrictions or distinctions it's not regional it doesn't discriminate a second thing we see any socioeconomic demographic can come to faith all the rich the poor the gospel doesn't look at your paycheck the gospel doesn't look at your visa status there's no caste system in the church third there are no age restrictions kids kids listen up Redeemer kids, tweens, anybody. I mean, this includes all kids. This includes you, no matter your age. There's no age here. There's no age in Romans 3. It doesn't say become this age, 18, 12, 6, 80, whatever age. There's no age. Kids, do you see that? 
No matter how young you are, you can understand this truth. You can believe it. If you can understand it, you can believe it. The youngest child in this room who believes these truths can be saved. So children, believe. Jesus loved children. Jesus loved preaching to children. I love preaching to children. I love praying for you. You can believe. Salvation comes to all who believe. This leads to a fourth truth about salvation from our text. Number four, salvation doesn't come through our own actions. Look at verse 23. For all have sinned. Another all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is all inclusive. There's no one who can save themselves. We've already been talking about it. We've been studying it for weeks in the section on condemnation. I won't belabor it, but just, again, to look at the text, all have sinned, all are condemned, all are wicked, all are evil, all fall short of the glory, the standard of God. John Stott writes, God's glory could mean his approval or praise, which all have forfeited, but probably refers to his image or glory in which all were made, but which all failed to live up to. Of course, there are degrees of sinning and therefore differences, yet nobody, nobody even approaches God's standard. Remember last week I mentioned whether a murderer or one who struggles with anger, no matter how much better you think you are than the person sitting next to you, none of us could run the Christian race perfectly. None of us could finish on our own, that we've all fallen short. And I used an example or an illustration of a race running from the Burj Khalifa in the heat of July straight 2,500 kilometers to Beirut. No help, no first aid, no water. No matter how good of a runner, you would die. One pastor put it like this, perhaps the worst murderers stand at the bottom of a valley and you on a crest of an alp, the tallest mountains, but you are as little able to touch the stars as they Now, that illustration and my illustration of running in the desert, it's not totally accurate. No illustration is. No illustration is perfectly. But here's how my illustration and all like illustrations fall short. It's because there are not some of us that need 95% grace and others that only need 40% grace. There's none of us who are actually closer to saving ourselves than others. They're not some of us who are the marathon runners of the Christian faith and can get closer than the one who's never run or who's barely run as a new believer in the Christian faith. No, here's a more accurate illustration because all of us are, fall 100% short. Let me give you something even more accurate. The accurate illustration to my race illustration would be that we're, we're all at the starting line dead. We're all at the starting line of that race from the Burj Khalifa to Beirut and we're dead. We're not even able to to start the race. We're not even able to wake ourselves up. Zero ability to even crawl towards God. None of us can save ourselves. We even need help to see that we need help. We even need the grace of God to see that we need help and that we've sinned against the holy God and deserve death and judgment. Well, there's a fifth truth, and we'll end with this one as we head towards communion. Number five, salvation comes as a gift. It's a gift, the first part of verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. The rest of the verse reads, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're going to spend a whole sermon on that second phrase on redemption on Easter Sunday. But for our purposes today, let's move forward as we move towards communion by looking briefly at the words justified and grace. We've mentioned justification a couple times. It's a legal term. It's one the law courts would have used. It means to be declared righteous. When you're declared righteous, you're given a new status. It's not just a pardon or a forgiveness. It's a legal status. 
that you are now given. You are now declared righteous. This declaration is what allows us to be reinstated with a holy and perfect God. And this happens by his grace as a gift. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. It's something we can't earn on our own merit. It's given to us as a gift. Grace is an undeserved blessing. Paul uses this word for grace a uh, hundred times. Charis is the word. We oftentimes translate charis or charis. And some of us even name our children. Or maybe you've met a child named after the Greek word for grace. A hundred times used. Nine times it's used by Paul of kindness. A kindness between believers towards one another. But over 90% of the time that Paul uses this word, it describes the grace of God. His grace in giving gifts for ministry, helping us be generous, helping us fulfill the work he's given to us, his grace empowering believers, but most of all, the gift of salvation and justification. We've sinned and still sin, but while sinners we are now righteous in God's sight by virtue, R.C. Sproul says, of the legal transfer of God made by assigning to us the righteousness of Christ. There's an imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. It's imputed to us. It's given to us. It's what Martin Luther called the great exchange. That's what happened there on the cross. Christ took our death and he imputed to us. He gave to us. His righteousness. And that's the picture that we're going to see right now, this picture of the great exchange as we approach the communion table. Now, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones suggested, here's a way to know whether you're really a Christian or one way. He said, when the devil attacks you and he accuses you, what do you say? Do you agree or do you say, yes, at one time those things were true of me. Yes, at one time I was dead. Yes, at one time I was dead in my sin, but now... Do you say, but now? Do you hold up those words against the evil one? But now I'm saved. But now I'm justified because of Jesus. If you could say, but now. If you can say that in this way. Yeah, let's just say it loud. That wasn't very loud and I wasn't very clear. Let's just say it, but now. Say it, but now. If you can say that in your heart when it comes to your sin and when it comes to your salvation, if you could say, but now, I invite you to come to the communion table here as the elements are passed to partake with us as a family of believers in Christ. If you're here and you believe this passage, you believe God is holy, God is just, that you've sinned, that Jesus has died for you as a gift has given you salvation as a gift to take your punishment out of sheer grace, out of a gift of grace. If you've trusted in Christ to save you, then you've been declared righteous and you have the righteousness of Christ. If that's you, we're inviting you to take part in this meal. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, let the bread, let the cup pass you by and consider this incredible news. Maybe today is the day of salvation for you. I'll be up front after the service. I'd love to talk to you. Anybody else who was on this platform today, you go to a community group, your leaders, we have a connections team that has lanyards that'll be all around. Please come talk to us. Consider your life now before a holy God and turn to him.
for saving grace. Fellow Christian communion also reminds us we're not alone. I had you look around earlier. We looked around at believers from so many different nations. Communion reminds us that we're a family, that we are sons and daughters of a king. This is why we take communion as a community. Well, before we take part, let's take a minute now to marvel at the justification he's given us and the free gift of Christ's righteousness we've received and to thank God for his grace. Let's do that in silent reflection now. As the musicians and servers come down front, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the salvation you've given to us. It's nothing we could have earned, but solely a gift of grace. Thank you for unifying us from far off lands, sinners from around the world, rejoicing in the bond of Christ. A bond that's stronger than our earthly passports. A bond that's stronger than our earthly families. We come together as citizens of the heavenly kingdom. Father, we come here today anticipating eternity with you and with one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.